Right. Well, hey, thank you guys so much. Again, I've, we're going to just uh, continue on this morning. We've been talking in the book of Acts, and and I I, I love the story of Acts because it's a, it is it's like a celebration of like it was this morning. The celebration of people just continually coming to Christ, and every single chapter, right? Super fun. You get into it. People preach, and this is, and then thousands were added to their number. They increased in number, right? There's just something so powerful about the idea of increase and adding new people. It's even hearing the stories this morning. Were those stories just powerful for you? You may just love those stories this morning, right? Just super fun just to see the movement of God. And so, again, I encourage you with that. We want to be a people who are believing for God and bringing people, inviting people to be a part of what we're doing as we believe God wants to move in their lives. And so it's good. It's good, good, good. So this morning I want to look, and we're going to go very quickly, just looking at Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. And then we're going to look completely at the life of Stephen. Next week, which is verses 8 to the end, all the way through chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to this morning. I'm just going to look at two specific things out of Acts 6 this morning, and then we will be done. You can follow along starting in verse 1 on the screen or in your Bible. It says this. Now, in those days, or in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, and proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Now, what we see here is the progression of Luke's story in the context of the early church, and we see a growing, just like growing tension in the church. The first four chapters of Acts, it's everyone is unified, but there's opposition from the outside. Last week we looked at Ananias and Sapphira, and recognizing now there's sin in the camp, there's actually tension among and a couple, a couple in the early church that are kind of messing some things up a little bit. But then we get into chapter 6 and we see the opposition between two different groups of people inside the church. And what I want you to hear me say this morning that I love about Luke is he's like saying, hey, it's not just all like rainbows and sunshine. Right? Like, there's a reality for us that even in the midst of the greatest breakthrough the church has ever known at its inception, there is still tension and factions of people in the church, people who were at odds, people who are frustrated, right? And that brings, that help, that gives me, gives me hope, recognizing that in this story, human nature is expressing itself, right? Sin can be expressing itself in the same way that human nature can express itself in our context, and we can begin to see even sin and factions and groups of people in our midst. 
Now, in the Jewish synagogue, kind of giving you a layout of what's happening here, in the Jewish synagogue, there were there was a well-established mechanism. So this was like pre-church, but just think, these are all Jews who are present, who have now given their lives to Jesus, whom they deem as Messiah, so they still see themselves as Jewish, maybe Jewish Christians. Uh, but in the Jewish synagogue, there was this well-established mechanism for caring for the poor, and specifically caring for widows. Collectors went around the market and the private houses every Friday morning, and they made a collection for the needy part for the needy partly in money and partly in goods. Later in the day, this was distributed. Those who were in temporary need received enough to enable them to carry on, and those who were permanently unable to support themselves received enough for 14 meals, that is, enough for two meals a day for one week leading up to that moment, or after that moment. The fund from which the distribution was made was called the Kupa, K-U-P-P-A-H, K-U-P-P-A-H, Kupa or Basket. And it's clear in this moment that the Christian church, along with the leading of the apostles, they would have taken over this custom. And it's in this moment where the tension was birthed. In this story, there are two groups of Jewish Christian widows in Jerusalem who have, who are eligible for the kupa. First, there are the Hebraic Jews, right, who have lived in traditional Jewish countries, primarily in Jerusalem. And the biggest piece is that they speak Hebrew, which is the native tongue of Judaism. The second are the Grecian Jews, those whose families were forced out of their homes after the Babylonian exile, what we know as the great Jewish diaspora. Basically, what you see when you read through the, the prophets, so when you read through Ezekiel, or read through Jeremiah, read through Isaiah, or the, or the minor prophets also, this is the season of the Jewish exile, the Babylonian exile, right? People have come in and overrun Jerusalem. Some people are taken to Babylon. And then others have run away, right, run away from Jerusalem. They're now seeds are rooted in other countries. This is who we're talking about this morning. They are these these Grecian Jews. They're the ones that are Jewish in culture, but they've moved somewhere else. And, and to survive and to make it, they've learned how to speak Greek when they've had children. They're Children are primarily in a Greek community and Greek culture, so they are Jewish, but they speak the language of Greek. And it's important to recognize here in this moment is this. The Pharisees, who, you know, we all know the Pharisees, they're all through the Gospels. The Pharisees, who were the primary religious voice of the day, had a great distrust and a great distaste for Grecian Jews. They were actually considered second-class citizens, not trusted. They were from the, quote-unquote, other side of the tracks, you might say, for those who grew up in the South, right? That's kind of who they were. They were separate, and people viewed them in a separate way. They didn't necessarily, they spoke with an accent, probably. They didn't speak maybe Hebrew at all, and so there's just this tension. They were Jews, but different, and they were looked down upon. What happens, what the apostles do next is powerful. They crush this unhealthy cultural view. 
They crush this unhealthy cultural view. First, they raise up seven Grecian Jews and commission them what we would probably say is the first deacons in the New Testament. And second, in this moment, it shows the heart of God, the heart of God through the apostles meeting physical needs as well as spiritual needs in the church. Now, as great as the early church was, and kind of named this, and as powerful as God's spirit was moving in their midst, it seems clear that the unhealthy cultural views that they held pre-Christ were still active and present in their convictions, right? They had given their lives to Jesus. They'd had a movement of God's spirit. They're seeing crazy things and miracles, right? But they still have this judgment of separation that they're carrying of an us and them mentality, right? The idea is probably the Hebraic Jews probably hung out over here in this little circle. The Grecian Jews probably kind of hung out over here. They each experienced their own beauty in the moment, but there's probably no overlap. There was probably the separation because that's what they had always known. But in this, right, the apostles, God began through the apostles, God began tearing down their biases. He opened their eyes to his heart for the very people they looked down upon. I wonder, actually, if this is an intentional first step that God is making among the Jews to prepare them for the Gentiles who are coming in just several chapters later. Listen, in this moment, the apostles then look, and this is really fascinating, they chose seven men they chose Grecian Jews, those with Greek names, and they validated them by laying hands on them and commissioning to serve the widows in the church. Why is this important? Because the very first quote-unquote officers in the church are not Hebraic Jews, they are Grecian Jews. They're the ones who've been looked down upon, those who were considered less than, and God is literally coming in the moment and taking those who have experienced injustice and taking those who have been oppressed, and he is fighting for them through the apostles and then actually making them the first officers, what we would actually say today are probably deacons. That's what we see in Timothy. The language of what they're doing here is exactly the language of deacons being in 1 Timothy. It's powerful to see the heartbeat of God. Lastly, the early church took very seriously, and this is important, the combination of spiritual and material concerns in carrying out its God-given ministry. So the spiritual needs and the physical needs, God is, sees them both as vital. In doing so, in this moment, it's stressed, like the church and the apostles stressed prayer and the preaching of the word. But here's the important thing, never to the exclusion of helping the poor and correcting injustices. This is super important. What we can find here in these verses is an awareness and a conviction among the apostles that the meeting of spiritual needs and the meeting of physical needs are intimately related. And this is going to be an opinion in mind that I would stand on and I would fight for, but it's this, and I'm going to share it with you. I've been asked a myriad of times over the years, what does God care more about, spiritual needs or physical needs? And the answer is 
In my opinion, yes. For God, He won't choose between the two. To choose between the two would not be to love holistically. And I don't know if you know this or not, but there are so many things in the world that God has never done, will not do, and can never do. And one of those, in my opinion, is separating a holistic love between spiritual and physical. He is a God of justice all the time. He is a God of love All the time. He sees the spiritual needs. He's going to fight for and move. He sees the physical needs. He's going to fight for. He's going to move. It's just who he is. To holistically love someone, it has to be spiritual and it has to be the physical needs. He can only care holistically for those whom he loves. He cannot, in my opinion, and will not differentiate. And I believe what we see here in Acts chapter 6. The apostles coming and saying the preaching of the word and prayer are spiritual lives, priority. But listen, the call that we've had historically every Friday to take up food and take up goods and take up money and then distribute those to those who need them in our body is something that we will continue to do because that's the love of God holistically expressed. So as we walk away from these six verses this morning, we must recognize the heart of God. And here's the point in this. I want to invite you as I say these words. Pay attention right here. I'm literally almost done. I mean, I'm literally done in three minutes, five minutes, maybe ten. Who knows? But it's in that, right? That in this piece, we must recognize the heart of God. But as believers... We then have to be honest about ours. Okay? We're trying to find ourselves, less Jesus as our models, the early church is one of the models that we use to determine who we are. God tears down unhealthy cultural divisions and meets everyone where they are. What cultural divisions have we embraced? Race? Religion, gender, political affiliation, those who in different socioeconomic levels than we are. We can never forget Peter in Acts chapter 2. He comes and he's baptized at Pentecost in the Holy Spirit. He gets up and begins to speak and then he names the prophecy of Joel and says, hey guys, This today, man, this is it, the prophecy of Joel. He says, in the end days, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. And he goes through and names that we see in different places in the New Testament. He talks about... He talks about poor and rich, talks about Greek and Jew, right? He talks about all the male, female, and the idea of coming and saying when Jesus looks down upon people, all he sees are people whom he loves, whom he's going to pour out his spirit on and empower them for the purposes of the kingdom. You here in the early church, you separated some people. You had an us and them mentality. You lived in factions and you were okay with it, and I am not. Tension actually is something that I expose, right? I allow to be exacerbated actually in the moment because I needed you to wake up and recognize in my eyes you are my children. 
Who did you use the word they for this week? Or them, those people. Every time we say them or they or those people, what we've done is we've separated and isolated. I don't know what that phrase is for you, but we have to begin being honest. Like when you're around somebody, do you feel superior to them? And do you see them as being inferior? When you're driving down, this and this is like a classic one, but when you're driving down the streets of Atlanta and you see God's creation living in abject poverty on the side of the street, how do you mentally and emotionally relate to them as equals whom God loves and has chosen with a desired purpose for their lives or as a less than they? It's a classic one, right? We have to be honest about our hearts. And we don't allow a little lawyer to come out on our shoulders and say, well, but. And then name something about who they are and about what they do with their money and what they do with substances. No, they are God's chosen people, no less than. Across the board, how then who do we consider as they? And God is coming this moment saying, we all do this. None of us are immune. If we want to begin to see God, listen, if you are a God, people of revival, how many of you want revival to come to vintage into the church? Then judgment has to come first. Judgment has to come first. He has to be able to expose and name the sin in our hearts and our lives that are hindering God's spirit from actually bringing revival. You could say, I've built up walls in our church of they and them, of separating people that's keeping revival from coming. Second piece, please do not miss the early church's commitment to the deep things of God's spirit and equally God's heart for the poor and at risk. But not just God's heart. See the early church's wholehearted weekly commitment to care for the at risk. That heart needs to grow in me. The heart needs to grow in us. The heartbeat and desire of God, I believe here is the apostles. Yes, we want to go preach the word. We want to be about those pieces. We want to raise other people up and commission them in the power of God's spirit to these places of service in the body. Right. We want to be obedient to that and wholeheartedly give ourselves to it and fight for justice. Fight for God's will. Fight to treat everyone as God's beloved daughter and son. I want to be honest about my heart and how I actually keep God's spirit from moving because I honestly see myself as superior. And God, I just don't want that anymore. Would you come today and bring about a repentance in my heart that I would see those places, God, because this is not who I want to be. I want to express Jesus. Heartbeat of God this morning. So the worship team's going to come forward, 1119. Thank you all for being here today.
I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to close this out. And if you would like to stay and just allow God to begin to move in your life and take time to respond, you can do that. If you would like to respond by um, just with worship, through giving, by baskets here and on the way out. And, of course, every Sunday we have communion available. Communion was created by God as a sacrament, something we do to remind us of who God is and who we are in relationship with him. Now hear this. The part of it is, yes, it's to remember, is to remember the work of God and the, the death of Jesus, right? His body broken, blood poured out. But it's also a reminder that he is a holy God. And in that holiness, in First Corinthians, talk about this, it says, before you come to the table, if you have anything against a brother, go and reconcile and repent of that so that you may come to the table clean. And I just invite you today to take communion. But would you have an honest conversation before the Lord as you come to say, God, what are the areas of my life that I need to die to pride? I need to allow humility to be birthed. I need to awaken in the love for someone who I have considered an us and a they and a them and I'm opposed, whatever it may be. God, with places in my heart where I've, I, have, I have deified the spiritual, but at the risk, God, not deifying and equally connecting with the physical and the spiritual. Lord, would you holistically have your way in my life? Jesus, I want to surrender to you. So, Father, this morning as we come, we have ministry teams on both sides. God, we we long for you to expose our hearts, to open up our minds to see the things that you see. God, we want to, to lovingly and excitedly embrace repentance so we can turn from the things that are killing us and then walk towards you where there's only life. Jesus, we want life. That's your desire and goal for each of us, Lord. Make us people who cherish and love repentance, Lord, of turning away from things that are killing us and killing people, Lord, around us, and just to run to you, Jesus. We thank you today for life found in you.